Hey yo, what up? It's the Rob City Sportscast. Oh what? Y'all ready? Hey, get ready, get ready, get ready. It's the Rob City Sportscast. Crazy Knicks fan named Alex. All sports all the time, yeah, that's it. You want gridiron talk, you want college. Uh-huh. NBA combat sports, your boy got it. Want that real rap raw, you feel fame. Want that sports talk, the Alex get it in. VA to NYC, we rock steady. New rocks and sports cash drops, and y'all better. What's going on, Radio Free Radford World and the podcasting world in general? It's your man, Alex Robson, and welcome back to the Robson Sportscast. Good Lord above. I don't even remember when the last episode was. It's been what feels like decades at this point, but I'm going to start locking down. I'm going to start locking down and creating content for all you people. So I recommend you keep tuning in every week to the Robson Sportscast. And you also go follow at the Robson Sportscast on Instagram because there's going to be more posts there. It's going to be a lot of fun happening with the Robson Sportscast and myself. Hope you all are doing well. I'm not going to waste all your guys' time because I feel like I've done that enough since, what, about August, September, October, whenever the heck the last episode was. So I'm not going to waste any more time. I'm going to jump right into this thing, man, because boy, oh boy, there is a lot to talk about. The NFL season is almost over. The Super Bowl is in two weeks. I am sad. I'm partially crying a little bit inside. But at the end of the day, all great things must come to an end. And it's probably the last time I will talk about it, at least for now, because it's a trend. I got to. And since it's been so long, something's changed a little bit. The year 2022, the New York Jets were actually pretty solid. Ended the season 7-10, and 10, missed the playoffs barely. I'm not too mad about it. Because for the first time in a long time, you see the core pieces that are there. They have a good young wide receiving core. They have a great running back room. And phenomenal defense, a coach I believe in, a general manager I believe in. There's a lot good going on here. Now, there is one glaring issue that has been the vice of this franchise for many, many years now. And that is the quarterback position. Oh boy, I'm wondering how you all think about my guy Zach Wilson. Well, let me give you a little spoiler alert. He isn't my guy anymore. I have seen enough. Zach Wilson was awful this season. 1,688 passing yards, 6 touchdowns, and 7 interceptions on the season. 54% completion percentage and a 72.8 QBR rating. All stats are from ESPN. That's horrendous. It just... He was worse than he was last year at points and intervals this year. He was really, really bad. And that hurts my heart to say because I was a big believer in Zach Wilson. Many people know this. I sung the praises of Zach Wilson to the end of time. 
But even I, as big of a fan as I was, Zach Wilson, I can't. I I I don't want this anymore. It's over. Two years. I know. I said I, Sam Darnold got three years. I wanted Zach Wilson to get a minimum of three years. I can't believe I'm going on and saying this, but Zach Wilson is worse than Sam Darnold. I'm. It's worse because with Sam Darnold, I never saw. I never saw what anybody else saw. But with Zach, I saw, I saw the potential that he had. The kid's got a rocket arm and all the physical talent that you would want out of a quarterback. But that's only about 10% of what it means to be an NFL quarterback. You need it up here in the brain. You need it upstairs in the mind to make it in the NFL as a quarterback. He didn't have that. He wasn't mentally tough. He just he didn't develop. That's the biggest thing. He didn't develop. Now, part of that is him. Part of it, maybe you can maybe blame on former offensive coordinator Michael LaFleur. But who knows? So now the Jets are once again in a position where they're looking for a quarterback. And the offseason for the Jets has not started on the right foot, at least in my opinion. They have signed Nathaniel Hackett, the former Broncos head coach, to be their new offensive coordinator. I am not a fan of this hire at all. He was a huge failure in Denver. And I know he's had success as an offensive coordinator. But he never really called the plays in those situations. It was always Matt LaFleur, Michael LaFleur's brother, who's the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. He was the guy calling the plays. Now, Hackett was there to kind of call the red zone stuff, kind of like more of an analyst position, not an offensive coordinator. He didn't call the plays. So I'm a little worried about next year. But if the Jets get the quarterback right, then there won't be a problem. I don't think Nathaniel Hackett will be a problem because I don't think he can be if the Jets get the quarterback pickup right. Now, I have listed a few options here that are hot names for the New York Jets to be picking up that we'll be talking a little bit about here today. Because even in my opinion, although talking quarterbacks is always fun, and a lot of people seem to think that the Jets are a quarterback away from being a contender, I personally, just just me being a pessimistic Jets fan, I don't think the Jets are there yet. I still think that this offensive line, is in desperate need of help. It has not been healthy at all this year. It's a bunch of old guys running out there. There's still questions on that need answering. Like, what's the plan at left tackle? I'd assume at pick 13, which the Jets had, they would be drafting an offensive tackle, whether a Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern, a Paris Johnson Jr. out of Ohio State, someone to fill that role. Because the Jets can't, again, walk into this season with plans of Makai Becton being the starting left tackle. If they do that, it's going to be the same story as last year. We have to sign a 38-year-old Dwayne Brown to come help us out, who I expect to be retired at the end of this year. George Fant isn't on a new contract yet, so they're in desperate need of help there. Plus, the AVT recovery. Elijah Vera Tucker was a superstar before he went down with an injury last year for the Jets. He was incredible. He played, I believe, three different offensive line positions and three straight games. Pretty sure he played left guard one, right guard the other, and then left tackle the next game. Three straight games, he played three different positions, and he excelled in all of them. Five-tool player, incredible football player that the Jets are able to have. He got hurt. How is he going to recover? And then, of course, with this offense, there's another question of Brees Hall. But the time was the before he got hurt, same game as Elijah Tucker got hurt, actually, which is just classic Jets luck, right? He went down with an injury, and... At the time, he was the runaway rookie of the year, at least on the offensive side. He was going to run away with that award. Got hurt. Didn't happen. Jets are still probably going to get that award with Garrett Wilson having the season he had. 
it's going to be interesting to see how all things fill together. But if we're talking quarterbacks, here are the top options, at least in my opinion, from what I've heard, and how I'm going to rank them. Now, these are in no specific order except for one of them, which will be my number one option, which is right at the end, which we'll get there. We're not there yet. First guy I want to talk about is where a lot of people are leaning because of the Nathaniel Hackett hiring, and that's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, last season, 2022, 3,695 passing yards with 26 touchdowns and 12 interceptions, 64% completion percentage, and a 91.1 QBR rating. Again, all stats are from ESPN. Now, I have a lot of problems with this more than I think anybody else does. Aaron Rodgers is going to be 40 years old at the start of the season. 40 years old. And not only is Aaron Rodgers going to be 40 years old to start the next season, he's coming off his worst season in recent memory. I mean, the man just won back-to-back MVPs. 26 touchdowns, 12 picks, that's nothing spectacular. And I know he lost Devontae Adams. And no, I'm not discrediting what Aaron Rodgers is, and that is a legend. He is a legend. One of the most talented quarterbacks, if not the most talented quarterback in terms of pure skill set that we've ever seen in the NFL. But that's not my problem with Aaron Rodgers. 40 years old. Worst season in recent memory. Is he on the decline? Is this father time catching up to him finally? We saw it this year with Tom Brady. As good as Tom Brady actually showed out to be a little bit in Tampa Bay this year, you could tell he wasn't the same quarterback he was just, what, three years ago? It wasn't the same. And it wasn't the same this year. Now, how much you want to blame that on Devontae Adams leaving or how much you want to blame that on Aaron Rodgers getting old? That's up for your interpretation. He does have that Hackett relationship, which I get. I get that's why everybody's saying, yeah, he's coming to New York. He's going to be a Jet. I get that. But at the same time, like the risk that comes with Aaron Rodgers may far outweigh the game. Because at the same time, Aaron Rodgers and all those years of greatness in the regular season won Super Bowl. That's all he has. Just one. And there is plenty of, of uh, film and all that kind of stuff like that. Things you could go look back on. That show that Aaron Rodgers, when it comes time to show up in the postseason, he hasn't done it. He's choked many, many times. All that talent in one Super Bowl. For a one to two year rental with the Jets. Which screams of Brett Favre. <laughs> but it also... Because Brett Favre did the exact same thing. Now I'm thinking about it, I, for, I completely forget about that sometimes. That he was a Jet. Just one of those weird times, I guess. But the Jets, it worked out for a while. The Jets were like, I think, 9-3 and three for a while there with Brett Favre. Then he got hurt and the Jets just completely collapsed. Could it happen again? Maybe. But at the same time, I just don't know if the risk is worth the reward here. Because I don't know what the reward will be. And then, God forbid... If the Jets are as crazy as they try to make themselves out to be sometimes, and they truly believe in Zach Wilson for some God-unknown reason, after those one and two years are up, are they going to go back to him in hopes that Aaron Rodgers taught him something? Oh, God in heaven. 
Let's try back to square one. Let's try back to where we are now. When Aaron Rodgers retires, what the hell do we do then? I mean, it's just right—it's just right back to square one in two years, when the Jets probably don't win a damn thing. I'm not down with that. And also, you can't forget that he's a Looney Tune now. He's on all—he talks about like this, hanging loose. He's got this weird girlfriend, which no disrespect to her at all. But she's a bit of a Looney Tune. Like, I can't even, I don't even remember her name, but it's not a normal name. Let me just say that right now. But it's just, you think he's going to survive in New York? Little Green Bay, Wisconsin, there's not a lot of brutal beat riders there. And you expect all that to come to New York? With Aaron Rodgers seeming a lack of commitment to the game? That ain't going to fly in New York. It's not. It's not going to work. Love Aaron Rodgers. Absolute legend. First ballot Hall of Famer. But he would not work in New York, in my opinion. It just wouldn't work. Next guy on the list is probably the most flashy, but also probably the most unlikely, but I've heard it before, so I want to talk about it. That's Lamar Jackson, current quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, an undeniable talent. This year, with injury problems, 2,242 yards, 17 touchdowns, 7 picks, 62% completion percentage, and a 91.1 QBR rating. Also led the Ravens in rushing yards. Biggest thing with Lamar is the injury concern. He's been injured a good amount of the past few seasons. And that is also kind of a testament to the Ravens' offensive line maybe not being catered to how he plays. But also, you could argue that the whole offense is based around Lamar Jackson's running ability. So, you that's kind of a pick-and-choose argument there with Lamar Jackson. And the price tag that the Jets are going to have to pay is going to be absolutely absurd. They're either going to have to trade a crap ton. Probably more than the, than the Browns traded for Deshaun Watson, which was like three first-round picks and a dozen other picks. For Deshaun Watson and all that baggage that comes with that. They're going to be trading more for Lamar Jackson. And then they're going to have to make up the highest paid player in the NFL. Which, ooh, again, that's a situation I don't know if I want the Jets in. That is a tough, tough thing to do. I wouldn't complain if the Jets got Lamar Jackson. I'd be over the moon if the Jets got Lamar Jackson. But that brings up future concerns as well. Because eventually, guys like Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall... Sauce Gardner. Hell, right now, Quinn and Williams need to pay day. They can't afford to feed all them mouths. It's gonna. It would be tough. It would be tough to pull that off. But also, you gotta think, if the Jets do get Lamar Jackson, and the appeal that the Jets have to Lamar Jackson, is this would be by far the best weapons he has ever had in his career. He has never had a great wide receiver core. He's had one great tight end in Mark Andrews, which, no disrespect to Mark Andrews, Mark Andrews is very good. But that's it. That's all you got. And he's had running back issues. No one able to run the ball aside from him. You mean tell me you give Lamar Jackson a running back field of Brees Hall, Zonovan Knight, and Michael Carter. Oh my God. A wide receiving room of Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, and Denzel Mims. I know I mentioned that name Denzel Mims. So I don't expect Corey Davis to be back. But either way, oh my God. That that whole offense is just an oh my god. 
Like, that offense would be unstoppable. You over game plan for the run, Lamar Jackson's going to beat you with his arm. You plan for Lamar Jackson to beat you with his arm, that running back room and Lamar Jackson with his legs is going to beat you. There's no winning that. That offense with that defense too, that's Super Bowl. That would be. But can the Jets afford to make that happen? That is the real question. I don't think the Jets can afford to make that happen. Next guy I want to talk about, which probably has the most connection to the Jets, is Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo this season, 2,437 passing yards, 16 touchdowns, 4 interceptions with a 67% completion percentage and a 103 QBR rating. Now, the biggest thing with Jimmy Garoppolo is, oh my God, the injuries. This guy always is finding ways to be hurt. He averages a mi- like multiple games missed a year. Like, if you were to take the past few years with injury issues and average amount how many games he's missed, it's probably over two. It is not good. But he is familiar with the system. Nathaniel Hackett runs a similar-esque offense to what Mike LaFleur ran, which is that kind of West Coast Kyle Shanahan-like system. And no matter what you say, Jimmy Garoppolo's a winner. He has shown many times. He can win games. He does the right things to win you games. But the biggest thing, no matter what you say, about Jimmy Garoppolo, good or bad, it's always followed up with when he's healthy. That's the biggest thing. I do not want any more of Zach Wilson and Mike White. I really don't. I want a quarterback that can come in, play 17 games, get us to the playoffs. Like, you know what I mean? I do not want to see Zach Wilson and Mike White playing backup duty anymore. I'm done with that. I'm done with both of them. It's time to move on. And Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't think, would ever give us enough time to move on because he's just constantly hurt. It's annoying. If he was healthy, I would definitely be like, yeah, pay the man. Get him here because he's good. He's not great, but he's good. He's good enough to get you to a Super Bowl. We've seen that. But a lot of people like to throw hate just because they wish they looked like him. As a man, I'm going to admit it. The handsome-looking dude. I'm wearing socks to all you those wondering. If you get the joke, you get the joke. <laughs> we're, we got the FCC rules. I don't know if I can make that kind of joke. I'm not going to, though. But I'm alluding to it. So I think we're good. <laughs> Next up, quickly moving along. Trying to forget that I just did all that off the script here. But, um... The next option, and this is personally my number one option when it comes to talking about options for the Jets quarterback situation next year in 2023. That's Derek Carr. Derek Carr last season. 3,522 yards, 24 touchdowns, 14 picks, 60% completion percentage, and an 86.3 QBR rating. Number one option in my opinion. His career average of 25 touchdowns and 10 interceptions would statistically make him the greatest Jet quarterback ever. How much so? Seven of his eight seasons in the NFL. Correction, sorry, I read that wrong. I got my notes right here. Seven of the eight Jets single-season passing yards records would be held by Derek Carr. The one is that weird Joe Namath here where he threw for 4,000 yards when nobody was throwing 4,000 yards. But he would be, I think he would have the top five, and then it would be Joe Namath, and then seven and eight would also be Derek Carr. That's absurd. That is absurd. 
if the Jets got that kind of production this season, they would win 12 games. They would be they would be they'd be even great in my opinion. With that defense with consistent quarterback play, what's there not to love about the New York Jets in that situation? A 25 to 10 touchdown interception ratio for a career average? What's there not to love about that? That's golden. Now the biggest thing on Derek Carr is he is 0-6 in games below 34 degrees, which is just the weirdest thing in the world. That is such a such a weird sideline stat. Like, it doesn't really matter. But at the same time, if you look at his averages in those games, it's clear that it wasn't his problem. Averages like 220 yards, a touchdown, and a pick, I think. It's like, that's not bad at all. And the biggest thing also with Derek Carr is he won't cost an arm and a leg. Whether you trade for him or you wait for the Raiders to cut him. And then the Jets get him that way in free agency. He's not going to cost a crazy ton. He's already got that massive payday from Oakland. Or Las Vegas now. He's already got that huge payday. You're not going to need to pay him that crazy amount of money. Or you won't have to trade a boatload of picks for him. Probably a third and a fourth round pick. It won't be anything crazy. You also have to take consider the fact that he has never had a defense in his career that was ranked over 20th to back him up. I don't care what you say. Football's a team game. You could argue quarterbacks are a win, a, a wins or a quarterback stat, which I can agree and disagree with you on that because, yeah, quarterbacks are a big part of getting wins and losses. But God Almighty, you got to get a little help. A little help on defense never hurt anybody. He has never gotten that. Never gotten that. And we can't forget this. We can't forget this when we're talking about the Las Vegas Raiders. Is that Josh McDaniels as a head coach is an absolute joke. I thought we would have learned that by now after what happened in Denver his last time there. I thought we would have learned. But no. We haven't learned a freaking thing apparently. Because he has run this organization into the ground. Already. In one year. In one year, he has ran that organization into the dirt. That, 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 it's insane to me. He has run Derek Carr out of town, probably one of the most consistent quarterbacks in the NFL today. And if the New York Jets are able to get him at 32 years old, that's what he is, he at least has eight to nine more good years left in him. I think the Jets could be really, really good for a sustained amount of time with a quarterback that didn't cost them an arm and a leg. I think that's the number one. I think there's no doubt that's the number one option. What's the major risk with Derek Carr? Oh, that he may have been a little bit on a down, maybe on a little bit of downturn with a 24 touchdown, 14 interception season. Again, if the Jets get that this year, that's great. Thank you. Come on back for another season. I mean, come on now. Compared to what the Jets got this year, the quarterbacks that played ball for them this year didn't even come close to tapping 24 touchdowns. They did damn fine get close to 24 picks, I'll tell you that much. But that is offensive production the Jets have not had in years. 
Since that one weird year with Ryan Fitzpatrick, the Jets have not had a quarterback throw for over 20 touchdowns. That was the last quarterback that threw for over 20 touchdowns for them in the season. That was it. Ryan Fitzpatrick. And it's been, I think, three straight years in a row now where they haven't had a quarterback eclipse 10 passing touchdowns. 10! That's absurd. If they were to get that level of production from Derek Carr, I'd be happy. And the Jets would be in the playoffs right now. They would have won probably 10, 11 games. It's right there for you, Jets. I know that Nathaniel Hackett has that connection to Aaron Rodgers, but don't do that. I don't want a one, two-year rental and then right back to the problem that we have now, which is no quarterback solution. Get the guy that's going to give you eight, nine, ten years of good football and maybe win a Super Bowl along the way. Hell, just get to the conference championship and I'd be happy. I'd be over the moon. Get to the playoffs and I'd be over the moon. Can you do that? That's the mandate for me this year. They, they got to get to the playoffs this year or people are going to get fired. That's the biggest thing. People will get fired if the Jets don't make the playoffs this year. And I think Derek Carr gives you the best term to make it this year, this coming season. Plus, I think Derek Carr also gives you a chance at long-term success and maybe even a Lombardi trophy. That's my personal opinion. Next topic is a different one. I don't know. I think I've alluded to it a couple of times in the show, but I don't know if I've ever done a full topic based around the professional wrestling world, which I am a fan of. Kind of an on and off fan, currently on right now. We're going to talk a little WWE action. Because I tuned into the Royal Rumble. First pay-per-view I have watched, or premium live event now because it's all on Peacock, it's not, you don't really have to pay, you pay the membership, of course, but you don't pay for, like, the show itself back, like, in the old days. But it's the first WWE pay-per-view I have sat down and watched since WrestleMania 29, I think, when they were in MetLife Stadium, where the main event was The Rock and John Cena. God, that that's a, feels like a lifetime ago, probably because it was. Um, but tuning in, I have been kind of on and off following WWE a little bit, so I know what's been going on, and the hot thing right now in WWE is the bloodline. Led by Roman Reigns, the tribal chief, acknowledge him, and I am, I acknowledge the tribal chief. Of course, the Usos, Jimmy and Jay Uso, Paul Heyman as a manager, and then they had Sami Zayn also in there, and when I tell you, this dude is over, this dude's over. I've loved him since the NXT days. I was big into NXT when it was prime NXT, not the crap they got running now. Even though, even though it's all right, if there's some guys and gals that I like at NXT right now that I think have future potential, but it's nowhere near what it was with the undisputed era with Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, Samoa Joe. Like that, like NXT in like 2015 and 2018 was just peak professional wrestling, in my opinion. Far more than a developmental brand, and that's what it is again now. But it's still good, still good at times. But I just want to say, hats off to WWE. This story with the bloodline, leading up to the portrayal of Sami Zayn, like Sami Zayn betraying Roman Reigns, I'll get to what happened in a minute, but I just need to acknowledge it. Get what I did there. Acknowledge him. <laughs> but um, it's just peak cinema. Like what they are doing right now, it's the best story that WWE has done in, I don't know, decades? What was the last huge story that WWE did like this? 
It's just mwah, chef's kiss. It's it's gorgeous. It is just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous stuff that WWE is putting out there right now with this story. Even the little tidbits I've seen, I've caught, like, I've catched a little bit. It's been phenomenal. So, let me tell you what happened at the Royal Rumble. Spoiler warning, if you haven't watched the Royal Rumble, go watch it. At least the last match, that's what I'm going to be talking about, mostly. So, the match was between undisputed champion Roman Reigns defending the belts against Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn's former best frenemy, big rivals in NXT, kind of on and off friends. But, the match, Roman Reigns mostly dominates, but there's one point in time where... I, it looked like it was over because Roman Reigns knocks down the referee at one point by accident and asks Sami Zayn to get him a chair. Sami Zayn hesitates. Do I want to give you the chair? Do I not? You told me not to do anything. He takes too long to give Roman the chair. Kevin Owens hits the stunner. Almost gets the win. Roman Reigns does go on to win, and then a post-match beatdown ensues. The Usos and, Samoa so- and Solo Sokoa end up just beating the living hell out of Kevin Owens, end up handcuffing him to the ropes, and Roman Reigns says to finish it to Sami Zayn. Hands him a chair and says to finish it. But instead of hitting Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, to a monstrous pop from the crowd, nails Roman Reigns in the back. Almost reminiscent of when Seth Rollins did it, destroying the shield. And just everyone in the ring is heartbroken because Sami Zayn turned his back on the bloodline. Now, then the bloodline assault him, except for one party in particular, and that's Jay Uso, who in Sami Zayn's tribal court trial, which was a thing they ran on, on the 30th anniversary of Monday Night Raw, I didn't catch it, but I caught like glimpses of it again. Jay Uso stood up for Sami Zayn, saying that this man has took so many bullets for the bloodline, and is the reason he was still in it. He didn't participate in this beatdown. He actually walked out of the bloodline, which again is why this was so gold. Because I think a lot of people that were following this story knew eventually that Sami Zayn would betray the bloodline. It was going to happen sooner or later. The people were clamoring for it. But Jay walking out? I did not expect that. That is a layer that I'm interested in seeing how that develops. That is going to be awesome. And again, another quick shout out, real quick. That's basically what happened at the end. They end up walking out. And at the very end, Roman Reigns tells Jimmy, Jey Uso's brother, that we are at war, which is kind of like a civil war with, I guess, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, and Jey Uso now versus the rest of the bloodline that remains. Just want to say this, though, to continue on before I get to my next part of this topic. Roman Reigns, what an ascent. He is, he's been golden as this character. Because for a while there, WWE was forcing him down our throats. And that's kind of why I started fading out of it. Because I was one of the many that was just like, I don't want Roman Reigns as this superstar babyface guy. I didn't want him forced down my throat. There were other guys that I thought deserved the shot more. It wasn't Roman Reigns. We all wanted guys like the newcomer at the time, AJ Styles, to be champion. Maybe one of these NXT newcomers like Kevin Owens or even Sami Zayn. He was fresh on the main roster at that point. There were so many guys on that roster at the time that I and many other WWE fans thought deserved it more than Roman Reigns. We just we didn't see him as this messiah, if you will, that Vince McMahon saw him as. But then he becomes this, this tribal chief, embraces his heritage, and is, he's... He's the best name in wrestling right now. He's the best performer in the, in the business, in my opinion, right now. He's golden on the mic. 
great in-ring performer, incredible as a heel. And also, mostly anything that Paul Heyman touches turns to gold. And the biggest thing I like about this is that most of the time when Paul Heyman is the manager of someone, he's to be their mouthpiece. He talks a lot for him. As good as Brock Lesnar is in the ring, and I've kind of grown a little more affectionate for Brock Lesnar now that he's not holding championships hostage and going away for months on end without defending the belt. Now that he comes in kind of sporadically, but Brock Lesnar, he wasn't very menacing when he talked. He has a very kind of lighter tone voice. But that's where Paul Heyman came in, because Paul Heyman was gold on the microphone. But he doesn't need to be that. But when he still does, he is. Like, he's still Paul Heyman. But at the same time, it's like, he doesn't need to. But either way, when he when he gets involved, it's gold. This story, though. The story of the bloodline, Sami Zayn, his rise to stardom. It needs a big payoff. And it needs to happen at WrestleMania. I know a lot of people, and we're going to get to why there's an issue with, w- with this story right now. But I know right now I think it's planned that Roman Reigns will defend the titles against Sammy at Elimination Chamber. And that's not good enough. And then I've also heard rumors that the big payoff will be Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn teaming up to take on the Usos for the the unified tag belts. Which, for what this story is telling, this is not good enough. I'm going to come out and say it right now. I know it probably won't be a long reign, but Sami Zayn deserves a run as world champion. His work in the bloodline has been outstanding, the best of his career. There is no way you can't put the belt on someone as nuclearly hot as Sami Zayn is. He's the most over guy in the crowd right now. Except for maybe one guy, but again, we're going to get to that. There's just no way that you, you can't not make this a big WrestleMania payoff. Like It just would not make sense to me. For them not to capitalize on this golden opportunity. But then there's their issue. There is an issue that I'm going to finally talk about what I've been alluding to. And that's Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes ended up winning the, the 2023 Men's Royal Rumble. He came in at number 30, returning after an 8-month absence due to a torn bicep. And that thing was torn. Google the image if you're not squeamish. It's not really like bloody or anything like that, but you could tell like it was not good. But he wrestled through a Hell in a Cell match with Seth Rollins in it. And it was a five-star match, too. Like, it was... That's what got me sold on Cody Rhodes. Even though I was... I always liked Cody Rhodes. But anyway. So, Cody Rhodes. This story. Cody Rhodes gets treated horribly in WWE. Gets picked with this infamous Stardust character. Bets on himself and asks for his release from WWE. Gets it granted. Dobbles around in the Indies and Impact for a while before... Birthing AEW. Which I watched for a little bit. I enjoyed it. It's a little bit too, little bit rough now, but I'll tune in and I'll enjoy sometimes what they have on there. But my God, Cody Rhodes, like that evolution from the dashing one to Stardust to now, the American Nightmare. He is phenomenal. Maybe the best pure wrestler. In, in professional wrestling today. And he gets it from his daddy, Dusty Rhodes. For sure. The grandson of a plumber, as they say. Well, I know Dusty was the son of a plumber. Calm down. You see what I'm doing there, people. All you marks out there. Screaming, He's not the son of a plumber. I know. Shut up. <laughs> but um, 
Cody Rhodes, and he deserves this. I wanted Cody Rhodes to win the Rumble. I wanted him to remain at WrestleMania, and I want him to be world champion. I do. He has deserved, he has earned that. And the crowd wants that too. But this is turning into a situation much like with Batista. Batista came back in 2015. There was a certain man by the name of Daniel Bryan. The Yes Movement. Remember that? Where anybody that wasn't Daniel Bryan competing for the World Heavyweight Championship was booed out the building. Daniel Bryan was nuclear hot at that time. So hot that the WWE Universe would want nothing else but for Daniel Bryan to be world champion. WWE, with all that, planned on making the that of WrestleMania of that year Randy Orton versus Batista. Now, I will go out on a record and say this. I was not a Daniel Bryan guy. I was not a fan of Daniel Bryan. I didn't want him to be world champion. I didn't think he fit. I was a lot like a Vince McMahon type guy. I, I just didn't think he would fit. I, I liked Batista coming back and winning the Rumble. I was fine with that. But as it wore on, I kind of got it. I'm like, okay, put the belt on him. Like, he, he deserves it. But I'm just kind of bringing this up because that's how quickly crowds can turn. It's snap of a finger. Be the hottest thing in wrestling. Next day, boom, you're hated. And that's what I think Cody Rhodes may be in danger of. Because he's the baby face right now. People cheer him. But as this bloodline story continues to develop, Sami Zayn is just going to keep growing and growing and growing and growing. But if WWE continues to say, no, the main event of WrestleMania is going to be Cody Rhodes, Cody Rhodes versus Reigns, Cody Rhodes versus Reigns, that crowd will turn. It happens as quick as a lightning strike. It happens all the time. Loved one day, hated the other. But I don't think that would happen with Cody. I think enough people like Cody Rhodes to say, okay, we're fine with this. If WWE does this right. Which is where this issue comes into play. Because I don't know what they're going to do. They have painted themselves into a corner by unifying the belts at last year's WrestleMania. Unifying the belts was the dumbest thing they could have done. It really was. It was the dumbest thing they could have done. If you're going to unify the belts, do it for a short time. Not for this long extended period of time that they have done it. Because now we're in a pickle. Now we're in a problem here. Because both Cody Rhodes and Sami Zayn deserve a WrestleMania moment. But you can't take one of the titles away from Roman because that makes him look weak. And he's so, he has so much heat right now. Make him look weak, it's not going to work. It's just not. But you also don't want him going into WrestleMania, mainly vetting back-to-back nights. A, because of injury concerns. You don't want your top star getting hurt, competing back-to-back nights. And probably 25, 30-minute matches. But also, there comes that issue. Roman's going to look weak because he's going to lose both belts. Or he's going to beat Sami Zayn, the crowd's going to turn, and then nothing else that matters at WrestleMania happens because they're like, oh, they didn't capitalize off the push for Sami Zayn. There's your problem right there. Now you've got a problem. 
It's just one of them things. It's one of those corners they painted themselves into. I'm interested to see what they do. I really am. I am intrigued to see how they're going to pull this off. To see if they blow it or see if they, they nail it. Because it's a new regime. Triple H is in charge now of the booking. It's going to be interesting to see. I want Cody Rhodes to be the man to dethrone Roman Reigns. But at the same time, this story needs Sami Zayn to win one of them. If not both titles. That's what it needs. You need to capitalize off this absolute gem that you have built up. Even if it's not a long reign. But if Sami Zayn does it, that's a stroke of genius. Who would have thought that this long history-making reign of Roman Reigns would be ended by Sammy freaking Zayn. The underdog story's there, WWE. You just gotta finish writing it. Like, that's all I gotta say about that. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I, like, I'm, I got the hots for wrestling right now. Like, it's really, really good stuff WWE's putting on right now. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how they pull it off. Final topic. Final topic of the day. It's a classic. It's an Alex Robson rant. I do these a lot, as any of you know that listen to the show. I get angry, and I rant about something. Mostly because it's stupid. And I don't like stupid things. And today's stupid thing that we're going to be ranting about is the NBA All-Star voting process. So the fans vote for this stuff. And I just want to say, it's just completely stupid. Voting for who plays in the best game of the year Voting who the best players are is just downright stupid. It's an over-glorified popularity contest. That's all it really is. And I have a list of some snubs. Some guys that should have made it in, but the fans decided they didn't vote them in. They didn't deserve to be there because they're not as cool and hip as the other guys. Let's start it off. De'Aaron Fox of the Sacramento Kings. Averaging 24 points per game and 6.1 assists per game. He is the number one option on a Sacramento Kings team. That is the third ranked team in the conference. Western Conference, by the way. Western Conference. Third. The Kings are third, ladies and gentlemen. And De'Aaron Fox is the primary cog in that machine. Need I say more? How the hell is that not an all-star? To make the Kings, the to help make the Kings the third seed in the Western Conference, the gauntlet that is? Are you kidding me? How are you not an all-star? Because you play for the Kings. Oh, you play for the Kings? I know they're good, but you play for the Kings. You can't be an all-star. It's so stupid. This one's probably the biggest snub of all of them. That is Pascal Siakam. Averaging 25 points, 8 rebounds, and 6 assists per game. This is a 6'10 forward who averages the most minutes played in the NBA right now. I'll tell you this right now. The Raptors record right now, which isn't very good, that's not an indictment on him. Basketball's a team sport. I'll tell you that right now. Pascal Siakam's the best player on that team by far. And he's playing like it. He is playing at an all-star and most improved player of the year level right now. But, he, but oh, he's playing on a, a team with a bad record? No, he can't be an all-star. 
we're not going to vote him in as fans. It's just, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Trey Young, um, he's not a snub. I just want to laugh at him. <laughs> Screw you, Trey Young. I'm a Knicks fan, if you can't tell. I, I hate Trey Young with a burning passion, so I just want to laugh at his uh, misfortune. Sorry. <laughs> but anyway, Anthony Edwards is the next name I want to talk about. Anthony Edwards of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Averaging 25 points, 6 rebounds, and 4 assists a game. Carl Anthony Towns, probably the best player on the Minnesota Timberwolves. You could argue Anthony Edwards is the best player. But Carl Anthony Towns, in my opinion, the best player on the Timberwolves, has been out since November of this year. But since going out, the Timberwolves are still in the playoff picture and hovering around or above 500. They're playing solid basketball, and Anthony Edwards is a big part of that. He has made an incredible leap this year. He is blossoming blossoming into a superstar. Hyper-athletic, good shooter, just has all the tools you want in a great basketball player. But again, much like, much like De'Aaron Fox. Much like De'Aaron Fox. Oh, you play for the Timberwolves? The Timberwolves? No, you can't be an all-star. You play for Minnesota? No, you can't be. Can't be. Can't be an all-star. It's so stupid. Oh, I'm so angry. Last guy I want to talk about is Jalen Brunson of the New York Knicks. Averaging 22.8 points per game and 6 assists per game. Now, I still don't think Jalen Brunson is worth all the money the Knicks decided to pay him. He has not been that good. He's the second best player on that team. Which, normally would be fine, but you're paying upwards of $100 million for a second best player. And the best player is Julius Randle. Eh. That's a bit rough for me, ladies and gentlemen. But, Drew Holiday is an all-star? Really? A guy that's averaging 19 points per game and 7 assists per game? Who isn't even the second best player on his own team is an all-star? Huh? What are we doing here, people? See, this is why people can't, people shouldn't be voting for this kind of stuff. Because people don't know what the hell they're doing. They don't look at the stats like us sports people do. They just talk about who they see on TV the most. And of course, the Milwaukee Bucks are one of the best teams in the league. And their best player is probably the future and best player of the NBA entirely. And Giannis Antetokounmpo. So he gets a lot of exposure, Drew Holiday does. Now, of course, you can say, oh, Jalen Brunson plays in New York. The Knicks aren't at that level. Their best player is Julius Randle. They're like three games over 500. they They're barely in the play-in, in the East. And the East is trash <laughs> compared to the West. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, and fans shouldn't be voting for who an All-Star is. It should be a collection of people that know what the hell they're doing. They can look at the stats, can look at, like, strength of schedule, look at the team they're having to deal with, because Pascal Siakam should be an all-star. He should be a starter. Not a reserve. He should be a starter. For being the best player on a really crap Raptors team. I'm sorry, but that is just... It's the fact. There's no way in the world... 
that Pascal Siakam should not be a starter with the Eastern Conference right now. It's just stupid. It's just fans should not be voting on this stuff, ladies and gentlemen. They shouldn't. I'm sorry to say it, but it's true. Fans should not be voting for the All-Star game. It's just you should put the best players out there because they deserve it. Every single player I just listed here, De'Aaron Fox, Pascal Siakam, Anthony Edwards, and Jalen Brunson all deserve to be All-Stars. But because the fans didn't think so, they don't get there. Fans shouldn't have a say. Okay, they should have a say maybe like the dunk contest or the three-point contest or maybe even the Rising Stars games where they have the world versus the USA like sophomores and rookies and all that kind of stuff like that. That's fine. Vote for who's in that one. I don't really care. If it's for fan entertainment, sure. But the All-Star game is usually played for, I think, charity or something now? Don't they play for charity so that the game actually means something? It should be the best players on the floor. Best players in the league should be playing in the biggest game of the year. Pascal Siakam is the biggest example, and that's the one that really made me want to do this. Like, talk, like, rant about this a little bit, because that is just... 25, 8, and 6, that is incredible. On a bad team, he gets punished for that. He's punished for being on a bad team. It's just, it's just so stupid. So stupid. Okay. Before my blood pressure rises anymore from talking about the stupidity of others, let's wrap this episode up, right? It's good to be back. Love being here behind the mic, but you can catch me at a different place. Tomorrow, at 2 p.m. at the Deadman Center, Winthrop comes to town, ladies and gentlemen, plays our men's basketball team. I'll be there. You'll see me on the sidelines cheering on the boys. It's going to be a lot of fun. Come support. I know it's not an ESPNU game. We got a couple more of those coming up, ladies and gentlemen. You'll hear me talk about those a little bit when we come closer. But it's a big one, though, still. Another big South tussle. They're coming in. They're coming in angry at us because we beat them last time. We got to go out and we got to do it again. All right? Show what we're about. Your boys have won eight straight. Come to the Denman Center. Help try and make it nine. It's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to rep the boys in the Denman Center again. But that being said, it's time to wrap this episode. This is RC Productions. Phil Flames. With the dope beat. Mr. Man, outro. Get ready.